Beloved congregation, the Lord of hosts is nigh. How precious and how sweet are those words which we just sang. When we gather in the house of God, we can say that in a special way, the Lord of hosts draws near to us. But also in the Lord's Supper, in a very special way, the Lord of hosts is so very nigh to us in the person of his well-beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in anticipation of the administration of this blessed sacrament ordained by Christ, we want to briefly focus on the concluding words of the Gospel of Matthew, which you can find in the second half of verse 20 of chapter 28. And there we read God's Word and our text. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so the Gospel of Matthew concludes with Christ's promise of his abiding presence. I am with you always. Literally, it says in Greek, I will be with you every single day until the end of the age. First of all, we will see that this promise was given to needy disciples. Disciples who needed to hear that, who needed to be encouraged by means of those precious words given to needy disciples. Secondly, it focuses uniquely on Christ's identity. This is one of those I am statements that we find throughout the Gospel of John. Here we have another one of those I am statements. This is who I am. I am with you always. And then thirdly, a promise that yields precious comfort. With us always, even unto the end of the world. And then that powerful stamp of divine approbation, amen, so shall it be. So the promise of Christ's abiding presence, given to needy disciples, focusing on Christ's identity, and yielding precious comfort. Congregation, they were indeed a needy group of men. They had just been given an overwhelming assignment by the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he had said to them, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth, yet the task to which he called them was a daunting one, an overwhelming one. He had commissioned them to go into the world, to go into the world of the Gentiles, to go into the world of the ungodly, to go and to proclaim his gospel to every creature, to proclaim in his name repentance and remission of sins. He commissioned these men for that great task by which the Lord Jesus Christ would fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham. That in his son, in Abraham's son, in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in him, all the nations, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And these men knew 
that Christ was asking them to go into a world that would be utterly hostile to Christ, hostile to his word, hostile to this precious gospel which alone offers life to perishing sinners. They knew that they would be called to preach the gospel to human beings whose carnal mind is enmity against God. This is how Jeremiah must have felt too when God called this young man to be his prophet. And then how wonderfully God comforted Jeremiah with the very same words. And ultimately, it was Christ who spoke to Jeremiah. As I've often said, congregation, whenever we encounter God speaking to men, it is always in the person of his son. And what did, what did Christ, what did the pre-incarnate Christ say to Jeremiah? He said, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. They even knew that they would be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Christ had encouraged them that they should rejoice when that would happen. And we know that 10 of those 11 men would die a martyr's death. Christ said, you shall be my witnesses. And the word witness in Greek is the word from which our word martyr is described. So the word itself does not mean suffering, but it, came, it, it, it became connected with it because those who witnessed about Christ, those who bore witness to the gospel, often had to pay for it with their very lives. And they were also men who in and of themselves, and this is where it comes so close to us, they were men who in themselves were so weak and who were so unqualified to do this work. They were men who had failed Christ when it counted the most. When he needed them the most, they had forsaken him. They were men who had proven to be slow learners, in spite of the fact that for three years they dwelt in the presence of the living Word of God. They dwelt in the presence of Christ who expounded the Scriptures to them over and over again. They were slow learners. And so Jesus had to say to the men of Emmaus, O fools, he said, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. A congregation, who of us cannot relate to this? How often have we been guilty of not being faithful to the Savior precisely when it counted most? How of us, how many of us would dare to say this morning? But also in the season that has passed, that we never failed our Savior. That in the season that is past, that we have not stumbled and fallen. And how many of us, if not all of us, are slow learners when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to the gospel. In that sense, we could say that all of Christ's disciples all of the students that are enrolled in the school of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are all learning disabled. 
And if you've ever worked with learning disabled students, you will know that often you have to repeat the same lesson over and over and over again until they finally begin to understand it. That's who we are, slow learners when it comes to the things of grace. We need to be taught the same thing over and over again. This is precisely what Christ delights to do. Oh, how patient He is with all the students that are enrolled in His school. How gracious He was towards these men. Oh, He knew. He could sense what was going on in their hearts. He could sense the fear and the intimidation when they thought about the task to which He called them. And to comfort them, he comes and he, and he addresses them with these very, very precious words. Lo, I am with you always. As if to say to his disciples, you don't have to go alone. I will be with you every step of the way. I will so help you. I will so support you that you will succeed in what I am calling you to do. I once read a neat little story that maybe will help our boys and girls to understand here what Christ is saying, how he is encouraging his disciples. There was going to be a piano recital by a very famous and well-known and renowned pianist. And just before the beginning of the performance, all of a sudden a little boy got up from the audience six, seven years old, and he saw that piano standing there on the stage, and he must have begun to learn to play a little bit, and he climbed onto the stage, climbed onto the bench, and with one finger he began to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. The, the audience was aghast, and then this pianist quietly walked on the stage, and he just stood behind that boy. As that boy was playing with one finger, he began to improvise right around what he was playing. And the boy's face was gleaming because he, he was amazed, didn't realize at first what was happening. And that's what Christ is doing. May I put it, may I put it bluntly and plainly? All we are capable of is twinkle, twinkle, little star. That's all we're capable of. But oh, Christ comes, he comes and literally surrounded, surrounded his disciples and say, you do not have to go this alone. I am going to be with you always. I will be with you every step of the way. There will not be a moment that I will forsake you. I will be with you. And congregation, what a, an, an encouragement that is also for us today. And that's precisely what Christ wishes to communicate by means of the Lord's table. Of course, he communicates this throughout his word. And ultimately, this promise brings together all of the promises of Scripture. All of them are wrapped up in this amazing statement. All of those promises in Scripture are ultimately yea and amen in him. And so by means of this sacrament, Christ so much desires to minister to his weak and needy people.
Oh, how weak and needy we are. Perhaps you had a difficult week. Sometimes I know from experience how Satan seeks to delight, especially during the week of preparation, to target the people of God, to target true believers. And in so many ways, fire his arrows at us. Oh, at times the, the battle can be so intense. Our battle against a three-headed enemy, Satan, the world, and our own wretched and corrupt flesh. And then we are so prone to the sin that so easily besets us, namely the sin of unbelief. How quickly and how easily do we stumble? And so ultimately we all come to the house of God, not as accomplished Christians, but as compromised Christians. We come here with all of our weakness. And what a blessing it is, I've said this before, what a blessing it is that Christ meets us precisely where we are, in our need, in our weakness, in our frailty. What a blessing it is that Christ never waits until we are prepared for the Lord's table. He does not wait until we are in the proper mood, until we are in the proper spiritual frame. For if that were the case, there would never be a Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper comes regularly. In the Lord's Supper, Christ, in such a precious way, draws so very near to his people. And he is saying, my dear people, I want to remind you, even visibly, I want to remind you that I am always with you. That brings us to our second point where Christ makes this amazing statement about his identity. And as several commentators point out correctly, I believe, that every word counts. Christ here makes a very emphatic statement. I am with you always. So let me just very briefly seek to emphasize what he's emphasizing. First of all, It begins with that precious word, I. He is the great I of this text. He is the great I of his word. He is the great I of this sacrament. He is the host of the table. Oh, he was saying to the disciples, consider who I am. Consider all that you know about me. Consider that I am God manifest in the flesh. Consider that all power in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. O congregation, we can never focus enough on that great eye of our text. And ultimately, that's what Christ has communicated. That's his desire, that we come to this table not focusing on ourselves, No, he said, you must come and partake of this meal and you must do it in remembrance of me. Your focus must be on me, on who I am in my glorious person, who I am in all that I have accomplished, who I am as the eternal Son of God, who I am as Emmanuel, God manifest in the flesh. Oh, what an encouragement is already found in that word how our focusing on who he is, this glorious Christ, how that will lift our souls above our circumstances. 
That's what gave Luther the courage the next day to stand before all the great men of that known world. And his focus on this great eye, on the God of hosts, enabled him to say, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. Then he says, I am with you. And again, very emphatically, when you look at the Greek, is that famous combination, ego, I me, that we find all through the Gospel of John. And so Christ here, again, clearly identifies himself as Jehovah, as the God of Israel. He is Jehovah in the flesh. And he wants his disciples to be encouraged by that. He wants them to think of of Israel's history, entire history of all the ways in which Jehovah had proven to be the God of his people, how he delivered them from Egypt, how he led them to the Red Sea, how he sustained them, how he was with his people. He was with them for 40 years. Never did he forsake them. He dwelt in their midst. He dwelt among them. They knew by by when they saw the tabernacle, they had the the visual reminder, the visual encouragement that this Jehovah, the I am that I am, he was with them, and he dwelt among them. And Christ is saying to his disciples, that's who I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the I am that I am. I am the one who led the people through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. This is who I am. And I'm promising you that just as I have always been with my people throughout the ages, so I will be with you, and I will be with you always. And then that beautiful word, with. I am with you. Congregation, do you know that that word with is what this table is all about? That's what Christ communicates to his people. I am with you. That word with is the heart of the gospel, is the core truth of the gospel, is the wonder of the gospel. That is God's good pleasure set before us visibly in the Lord's table. And why is it that Christ can say to us this morning, my dear people, I am with you? It's because that table reminds us that on the cross of Calvary, God was against, uh, against him. Because that's what we deserve as sinners. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were expelled from the garden is because God had turned against them. He had to turn against them because they had now become sinners. They had transgressed his law. They had despised his love. That's how we come into the world by nature. God is against us. By nature, the wrath of God abides on us. And in order for God ever to be with us again, in order for God to be favorably inclined towards us, he had to be against his only begotten son. 
Oh, in order for this Jesus to be our Emmanuel, God with us, he hung on Calvary's cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My Father, why art thou against me? And the answer, the question is answered here. The Father was against his only begotten Son. He was against him as our mediator. So that on the basis of that sacrifice, God can be with us. He can be with us freely, unreservedly, without any strings attached. He can be with us in full harmony with his glorious being. He can be with us and unveil his heart of love to us. All because of what it was accomplished on Calvary's cross. So that broken bread and that shed wine points us to the cross of Calvary, to the sacrifice that he brought there. It reminds us of the price that he paid in order to secure our salvation. It reminds us visibly that he was willing, he was willing to experience hell in your place so that that there could be a seat for you at this table. So that God can now be with you. And by means of the Lord's Supper, Christ wants to reassure his people, here is the evidence that I will, that I am always with you and I always will be with you. And no matter what happens, this remains absolutely true. So I am with you. I am with you. I am with you and now I am with you. That's amazing too. It doesn't say I am with thee. Thee is the singular in Old English. So he was addressing that to all that were there, the 11 and perhaps the 500, who knows? I am with you. So that no one would have to exclude himself. Oh, this is true for all of his children, for all those who wrought upon by the Holy Spirit have found and are finding their salvation in him. For all those for whom this Christ has become precious. Because congregation, that is the foundational mark of grace. The true believer is someone who loves this Christ in sincerity. For whom this Christ has become precious. And the chiefest among ten thousands. Oh, I am with you. And that's again so beautiful. Because what a, what a contrast between I and you. I, the eternal Son of God, by whom and all and by whom and for whom all things were made, the great I am, and then you. Greater contrast is not imaginable. But that's the wonder of the gospel. That's the amazing truth of the gospel expressed even to the thief on the cross. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Thou shalt be with me in paradise today. You and I will be there together. And how is it possible for Christ and his sinful people to sit at one table? It's all because of his finished work 
That finished work is the foundation by he and you can be connected. That's why God so often refers to himself as the God of Jacob. Congregation, that is worth meditating on. The God of Jacob. Think of what kind of a man Jacob was. He was not morally superior to Esau. By no means. And yet God goes out of his way to say, I am the God of Jacob. Jacob, a man whose name means supplanter. How can that be? How can God mention his name and Jacob's name in one breath? How can that be? Christ is between those two. Christ is the one that unites God and Jacob. In Christ, God can be the God of Jacob, and Jacob can be the Son of God. And thereby God communicates that he wants to be known as the God of his children. Also your God, dear child of God, you may substitute Jacob's name with your name. I am with you. And Christ is saying, also by means of this supper, that means, my dear child, that I will never forsake you. I will never forsake the work of my own hands. In 1 Kings, 1 Kings 6, verse 13, the Lord said, did, and I will dwell among the children of Israel. That's what this table symbolizes. Christ dwelling in the midst of his people. And I will not forsake my people Israel. That's why we have the word lo there. Lo is an old English word. It means behold. It means pay attention. Focus on this. Focus carefully on what I'm saying. That's what Christ is saying. That's why the Lord's Supper is such a blessing. Ultimately, he always communicates this to the gospel. But this is, if you say, the Lord's Supper is his low. He is as if he wants to get our special attention. Low, my people, low. Consider all that I have said to you in my word. And now look at this. Consider these visible signs of my faithfulness. Pay close attention. Keep in mind that this is an, an abiding reality. This is always true. That is, of course, the, the rich comfort that this promise yields. I'm with you always. You know what that means? That that commitment of Christ is not contingent on us, not contingent on our performance, not contingent on our behavior. This is always true regardless of our spiritual ups and downs, regardless of whether the sun is shining spiritually or whether we are in darkness. I'm with you always. That's what Christ is saying. No matter what you have been through, no matter perhaps how compromised this past week was, no matter how often you have failed, how often you have stumbled, this does not change. I am with you always, at all times, every single day. That's why it's in the present tense, so very precious. There's never a moment that this is not true. In Joshua 1 verse 5, God said to Joshua, I will be with thee. 
I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. That's what Christ is communicating this morning. I'm with you always. I am with you in all places. No matter where you will ever be in this world, he said to the disciples, no matter where you will ever go, no matter where my providence directs you, I will always be with you. All places. Even if that means a prison cell. When Joseph ended up in prison, Christ was with him, even in that prison cell. When Paul and Silas ended up in prison, why were they able to worship in the middle of the night? Because they experienced the presence of Christ. They experienced the reality of this province, this promise. He was with them even there. How did Richard Wormbrandt endure all those torturous years in prison? Because he experienced the presence of Christ. I am with you always. David confesses in Psalm 139, verse 3, Thou art acquainted with all my ways. Oh, dear child of God, your Savior is acquainted with all of your ways, with all of your circumstances, with all of your struggles, with all of your trials. He is acquainted with all of your ways, and he's saying, I will always be with you, no matter what befalls you, no matter where you are and where you dwell. That includes all of our trials. Listen to the precious words of Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. O Christ selected words that occur throughout the Old Testament. If you do a search on your computer concordance and you type in, I am with thee, the whole phrase, and I am with you, you will come up with 14 references where you will find this. And you read those passages, they all express the same thing that Christ is expressing here. Fear thou not, he says, I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We need to wrap this up. Christ is simply saying, as long as the world stands, this promise will be fulfilled. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. Because you see, the history of the world, as you know, is really his story. And as long as his story continues... He will fulfill this promise. And he will be the refuge and the strength of his people. He will be with us until he returns in glory. Until that moment arrives of which he spoke in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. That's what he called them to do. And then shall the end come. And then it concludes with this beautiful and precious word, amen. There's some difference of opinion as to whether Christ said this or whether Matthew added this, but it does not matter. It is the inspired word of God. It is the finishing touch, you see, on what Christ just said. It is the finishing touch on the entire gospel of Matthew. So it shall be. 
It is, as it were, the divine seal upon that promise. In Exodus 3, verse 12, God said to Moses, who was so fearful, who had all kinds of excuses, did not dare to go to Pharaoh. So what did Christ say to him? Certainly, I will be with thee. Amen. So it shall be. And ultimately, we may say, dear congregation, Christ himself, you will hear me say this often, Christ himself is the warranty of his own word. The living word, that's who he is. The living word of God is the warranty of the written word of God. That's why God's word cannot fail. That's why God's promises cannot fail. That's why we read in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen. Unto the glory of God by us. Oh, this is the Christ who appeared to John on the island of Patmos and who so encouraged him and who said to John, Remember who I am, John. I am, I am again, the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Oh, my dear congregation, dear believer, this is the Christ who is saying to you, my dear child, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I will be with you always. I will never forsake the work of my hands. And actually that word amen is an encouragement for us to plead upon this promise. Congregation, let me be crystal clear. God is so honored when we say amen to his promises, when we say amen to his word. God has given the promises to his people to encourage. He stretches out his hands to us as if to say, my people, I want you to take hold of this promise. I want you to take hold of my word. I want you to say amen to my amen. Amen to my word. May that be our experience. As we gather around this table, and as we do this in remembrance of him. May our participation be our amen to his amen set before us in the broken bread and the shed wine that we may experience in a very real way that if God is for us, who shall then be against us? Oh, dear child of God, dear believer, believest Thou this. Oh, the Lord Jesus often has to say to us, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Oh, again, he stoops down so low. He comes down to where we are. Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Consider who I am. Be encouraged. Here is the evidence. I am with you always. Amen.